Welcome to Digital Hospitality. I am your host, Sean Walchef. This is a Cali BBQ Media production. And today we are here with Aaron Roberts, who is the founder of Rising Tides Creative. He is also known to those that have been following the Digital Hospitality podcast. He and Brandon are the guys behind the scene at our Cali Barbecue Media crew. So for those of you that are new to the podcast, we have turned a barbecue restaurant into a media company. And every single week we try to bring influencers on, we try to bring authors on, entrepreneurs on, anybody that's doing things in the digital space that understand that there are two things that are happening. There's a game within the game. There's an offline world where normal business happens and there's an online world. Digital hospitality is the blending of both of those worlds. So as a restaurant, we're trying to sell things online. Uh, we have third-party delivery, we're creating content, we're hiring videographers, production teams, graphic artists, creatives to help us tell stories, to help us with our digital marketing and create digital media. Um, this episode's really exciting because I get to turn the cameras on the guy that's usually behind the camera doing the post-production work. Um, so Aaron, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Definitely a little different with the, the lights on you, you know. So. Well, it is a lot different. And I think, um, you know, one of the most valuable things that I think our listeners can hear about is your journey as a creative, somebody that grew up admiring the work and watching the work that your father did in San Diego in the film industry. Mm -hmm. Um, how that impacted you to get to the point where you are today. Because from what I've seen um, now working in the creative space and the agency space is trying to figure out the business side of creatives. Yeah. And that's something that I know you're well versed in. And I think you can speak to a voice and an understanding of the industry that pretty much gets ignored. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing in the, in the film industry. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I always tell everybody, I, I grew up on film sets. You know, it's, it's been a part of my life since as long as I can remember. Uh, my dad has been in the industry since he was 18. I mean, he, he got out of high school and got into the film industry. He carried around the big old, big ass cameras that used to weigh 30, 40 pounds. He went across the country doing a, uh, working for BET, going to college basketball games, college football games. He moved his way up to being one of the production managers, the guy inside the truck who would call out all the different camera angles and stuff like that. Um, and then he switched to commercial video production, which is where I knew him working as. Um, you know, he worked at a couple different places in Chicago and then in Phoenix. And then finally in San Diego, he started his own production company. Um, and that's that's what I knew growing up. I knew so explain I, production company to those that aren't in the industry. Okay. So what does a production company do and accomplish? I mean, an because old... Because in old... There's, yeah, there's I was old, say, an old legacy media company. and then there's new media. Yeah, so back, back in, in my dad's day, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, an old production company generally was just... They didn't even necessarily own all the equipment. They were, they were producers, teams of producers that you would hire for your, your big commercial shoot like the San Diego Padres who was a client of my dad in, in the late to mid 90s um, you know they would say all right Dave we've got hundred thousand dollars for this TV spot my dad would go great we can work with that and he would hire everybody we would he would do all the pre-production which is all the hiring of crew the planning of locations making sure everybody knows where the production day is where the shoots happening and so everybody gets there at the same time mm -hmm. pre-production is immensely important that I think a lot of clients don't realize they think that like, oh, I'll just tell you to come and shoot and you'll just come and shoot. It's like, no, there's there's work that needs to be done before that. Sure. 
Um, and then the production, obviously the shoot day or the couple shoot days, whatever it is, that's what the production company handles. And then they also handle the post-production. Mm -hmm. So they handle taking all the footage, which can sometimes be hours, hundreds of hours of footage, like our Wonderfront uh, experience was literally three days, hundreds of hours, hundreds of gigabytes of footage, that then you have to, as the editor, as the post-production supervisor, you have to take all that footage, figure out what's best and what works to fit the thesis or the main point that you're trying to hit for the ad, um, and then you deliver the video to the client. So the Padres, they get this video, yep. they have this $100,000 budget. This isn't $100,000 budget, typically isn't even into what they're gonna have to spend with those local channels, exactly. right? So they're yeah. gonna have to pay for that airtime on top yep. of that. So that's the ad buy on top yes. of this this work that they're exactly. doing. Exactly. Which is interesting because in the world that we're living in now in the new media world, we're repurposing content, not just for TV, oh, yeah. not just for radio, for not just for the website, it's for all of it's it. It's for everything. Which is what we talk about every single week on Digital Hospitality, why it's so important to create your own content and exactly. own your own content. Exactly. So tell us a little bit more about your upbringing. So you see it, you taste it. It's kind yeah. of like restaurant people. Yeah. You taste it. I hated it. I didn't like it. <laughs> but something drew me back and something drew yeah, you back. Yeah, I was kind of the same way, you know, like it, at first, going out on those sets, you could like, wow, these are these long 12, 14, 16 hour days, and you're 10, 12 years Saturday, old. Saturdays, Sundays. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It's like, oh man, this just eats up my whole life. I don't get any time to go play video games. When am I gonna get time to play with my friends? And it, but what I really liked is I liked seeing, I liked seeing how my dad ran a set. I liked, it was, it was cool to see him kind of in charge and everybody kind of respect him and, and take his word. and he would be in charge of these, you know, we would show up to a restaurant, like we shot a CC's Pizzas commercial back when that was a thing and took over the whole restaurant. And you know, my dad's got a crew of 10 people and he's telling everyone where to go and they're setting up the lights and they're doing the thing and just seeing the whole production. I saw how much work it was, which mm -hmm. is definitely what maybe kind of like shied me away from it at first. But you know, I also, I've always been attracted to, to bigger things, right? Like when I was a kid, I wanted to grow up and be a, a baseball player. That was that was mm -hmm. what I told everyone. And you know, when you graduate kindergarten, you go up there and say what you're going to do. I said I'm going to be a San Diego Padre. Like so, I always have had big and grand ambitions and and bigger productions, big things, or it draws me to them. Um, but it wasn't really until I got out of high school, and I'd been kicking around in the music scene in San Diego a little bit. That's what I thought I was going to do. If you asked me senior year of high school, I was like, I'm going to be in a band. We're going to be big. That's going to be my life. That's what I'm yeah. going to do. You're going to play at Street Scene. Oh, yeah. You're going to play at Wonderfront. Yep, right. I was like, I'm going to move up to L.A. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to just all slum it for five, seven years, whatever, and then we'll hit it. But I quickly started to kind of pivot into, well, I actually want to, you know, I saw that the music scene was like virtually non-existent in San Diego and yeah. even how hard it is to just be an independent artist in general. So the idea for Blue Vision Entertainment, which is the precursor to everything we're doing with Rising Tides Creative, was how can I set an infrastructure up for myself so I have money and time to actually go play music, right? Yeah. That was like my original idea seven years ago. And I drifted back to kind of the production company thing. You know, it was ingrained in me. It was something I grew up doing. Every time in high school when the a video project was an option that was available mm -hmm. instead of writing a paper, I'd jump right on it. I had a camera, I knew how to edit. You know, I've been making movies with my friends since junior high. Um, and that's kind of, I figured, all right, well, let's start a production company. Let's start a production company that has, a, you know, a music side to it and photography and all this other stuff. And I was 21 years old, 
I had no idea the industry I was entering as far as just film production, mm -hmm. much less trying to do everything else. So, you know, the ambitions burned away pretty quickly, and then we just became a video production company, which we yeah. then started doing successfully. Um, we focused a lot on television first because I was trying to look at where the market was, and this was like six, seven years ago, mm -hmm. and you, I could tell, and obviously time has proven correct, that Netflix, streaming shows, services, television was on this uptick, and film and indie film specifically was kind of on a downswing. Yeah. So we started getting into TV production. We produced a, a pilot about working in a movie theater, which was my first job, and that got like half a million hits. Mm -hmm. And that kind of launched the production company into some bigger bigger things. We were able to start working with an ad agency in town after that. And then, you know, last summer, obviously, we kind of joined the Cali Barbecue team and you opened my eyes to everything else that we started doing and what became Rising Tides Creative. Well, I think it's interesting, obviously it's interesting for me, but uh, you know, that's selfishly, but for the, yeah. for the listener, for somebody that I think is always the question that I get is why is a barbecue restaurant a media company? Where's the blame? <laughs> I got that question too. Trust me. I'd be like, who, who are you working with? I'm like, well, you know, they're a restaurant, but they're also a media company. <laughs> so I think one of the things that would be helpful which is what we try to talk about every week is why it's important for a business to understand that they should be a media company yeah. and they can be. Yeah. Talk about working specifically, you know, on some of the projects that we did together where you started to understand the thesis that we were working on, um, where you said all the stuff that I've done in the past now yeah. actually makes contextual sense in a business environment. Yeah, I mean it was it was really interesting just watching you know, Brandon and I had that meeting with you. It was like late June, I think, last mm -hmm. year at the Cali Barbecue offices. And I really didn't know what the relationship was going to be like. Mm -hmm. I knew like, all right, Sean has a podcast. He wants us to shoot the podcast. So we'll shoot the podcast. And then, to some extent, that's all I thought it was really going to be. Yeah. It was audio. Because that's, well, to that, some extent, it was, right? It was yeah. audio, you were but focused we also, on audio, but you wanted we to We wanted video. great audio, yeah. but we also had to have video. Yeah. And video is what you did. You're yeah. like, audio is secondary. Like, right? yeah. of course you're going to have good audio. Yeah. Like, you're like, we have to have great production value. Yeah. But then that's how it kind of evolved. Yeah. And then we started kind of covering events. I mean, we covered the Surf and Turf, Surf and Turf Barbecue mm -hmm. Festival. That was out in Del Mar. And then we covered the Spring Valley Barbecue Festival. And that was the first time I kind of got to see, like, kind of your thesis and the digital hospitality ideals in action. Because we would go to all these different vendors yeah. at these events. And we would interview the vendor. So we're making a video for the event, but we're also networking ourselves to all these different vendors, getting them to talk about their own company, why they're connected to the event. And so it kind of became like, oh, well, we're like producing a little ad spot yeah. for all these different vendors for this one event. And then as we start touring the Digital Hospitality podcast and, and it becomes, we thought we were going to shoot it at your Cali Barbecue studio a Correct. lot. And then we kind of changed the game once we saw how easy the event, I think, kind of was. That Surf and Turf Festival mm -hmm. was one of the first things we did. We shot our first podcast on location there. And then I think it was mostly you, maybe Stover's idea of like, well, let's tour this thing out. Let's yeah. go to people's businesses instead of having them just come to some podcast studio. That mm -hmm. was a great idea. So when we started going to these businesses and we would do the podcast and you'd sit and we'd talk with the business owner, we'd learn about them, we'd learn about their story. But then it was when we started doing these behind the scenes episodes mm -hmm. The kind of YouTube episodes, three to five minutes of us going to a place like Funky Fries and looking in their kitchen and basically shooting what would be like a test marketing video Correct. for them, but it was through the podcast. Yeah. And I kind of started seeing how through every conversation you had, 
everything was ringing true with every, no matter whether we're talking to Howard Solomon or a chef or, or American Factory Ernie, Wheel or American Factory Wheel or Ernie Hahn with Pachanga Arena or Chris with Pachanga Arena, no matter big or size or kind of whatever industry they were in, everything you'd said about you have to have a strong all digital online presence. Mm -hmm. You have to have great social media pages. You have to have a killer website because everything needs to come back to your website, a website yep. you own, right? Correct. And you own all the content on that website. And your restaurant really was a case in point of just, I mean, your social media following mm -hmm. is great. It's really propelled you. And I think we've seen even more during the downturn of COVID how much that everything that you built has really helped propel you guys to, to succeed even in times like this. So seeing how just your your preaching, your your digital preacher, as yeah. I kind of like to call you, you <laughs> know, the, the the OG yeah. the OG digital preacher here, just hearing the same things repeated back to you about people who either after they had already invested in digital mm -hmm. saw the same payoff you did, yeah. or people who were kind of struggling that then we maybe kind of started trying to turn them turn the tide or point them in the right right direction of where to go, and seeing the success of that, I mean, it just it started to click of like, oh, this is definitely where everybody needs this. Everybody needs yeah. to have a killer website. Everybody needs social media pages that are going to bring people in and keep them there yeah. and keep them engaged um, because it's 2020. Yeah. It's, it's beyond. We all, what's your, we, live, we live on this. We yeah, live on we the phone on the that, I, that I don't have in my pocket Correct. right now. But everything is done on there. I, I do probably at least 60% of my business on my phone versus the desktop. Correct. Emails, text messages, even documents and stuff. So yeah, it was just kind of a, a slow burn, but. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's important. And that's really the thing that we want to hit home every week on the podcast is for people to understand that no matter where you live in the world, no matter where your business is, you can reach out. And we had this relationship literally by me posting mm -hmm. what my needs were. But my needs were, I wasn't gonna hire a professional film production company, I was hiring an intern. But that was just Aaron answering the call saying, hey, this is an opportunity to work with a business owner that's doing something different. That created a relationship where his skills, my skills, Stover's skills, we're all working together as a team with Brandon and we're creating content in a way that once you start creating it, we're doing digital marketing. And that's what I say. We're doing digital marketing, which was about the restaurant mm -hmm. and then about the podcast. But it becomes media once you start covering everyone else around you. Yeah. And it's no longer about us. Yeah. It's about the story. It's about the event. It's about the other vendors. It's about the other sponsors. Because now you can use your skills from film production where you go, I'm already, have, I'm already here on set. Yeah. I already can tell all these stories anyways. This is just one big script a reality script yeah. and I can go and as long as I know what who the key players are then you can create individual pieces of content from one big event yeah. that actually benefits multiple parties definitely that's shareable on social to benefit everybody to benefit everybody yeah 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 no like those the doing vendor interviews at big events has it seems to be a win-win for everybody right like you know if, if you throw a big event and you have all these different vendors come to, to sell things or to show off things or even just to give things away for free, creating, ha having a piece of video that, for the event, that just shows, hey, you come to our events, look at, look at all these cool vendors mm -hmm. you, you get to, you know, get to partake from, right? Mm -hmm. But then for the vendors themselves, it, it becomes another piece of marketing that, that they get to share. That sure. the sunglass store or the beer company or the alcohol company that has the tent there, 
they then get to also share it on social media. And it kind of can amplify. It's, it's that, you know, social transmission is done through shares and through likes and through comments. And the more you can kind of bring that together and create pieces that more people have kind of a stake in, I mean, yeah. definitely the better. And I think that it goes to putting yourself in positions where that magic can happen. Yeah. Because had we not put on events ourselves, had we not organized the Turf and Surf Barbecue Championship, had we not organized the Spring Valley Barbecue Festival as event producers, we wouldn't have had the perspective that we had because we're always trying to create content to market the event, yeah. to help our sponsors, to cover the event, to wrap the event, to promote the event for the next year. But having the media inside of the event that's not only covering that, but also taking care of people in a way that everyone needs. Yeah. Everyone needs content for all of the social, for their website. And when you have a professional crew that understands what they're doing, you can really make some incredible inroads and incredible videos from all of these major yeah. events that happen all throughout the entire world. Yeah. No matter where you are, there's events that happen and they happen through community involvement. Yeah, uh, one of the biggest things that you started saying last year which clicked in my head as far as knowing that this was the right niche to, mm -hmm. to fall into is you said the Super Bowl doesn't even have enough coverage. And you're correct in that nobody's really covering the Super Bowl like the way we cover events. Correct. Nobody's going to all that pre-week festivities on Radio Row or, or all the different vendors that get involved in the Super Bowl. And nobody's creating social media pieces that are, that are highlighting this. And when, when you start looking at gigantic events like that and knowing they're not doing it, you know that everything else that's smaller is not doing anything like it either. Correct. Because, so it, it just kind of, that was another just piece of, of the puzzle that just sure. started clicking in of like, oh yeah, really not a lot of people are doing this and they're not doing it in this way. And they should be because it, it works. And that's kind of where, you know, part where the rising tides, the idea came from. I mm -hmm. mean, it came from me sitting in a hotel room in Duluth, Minnesota, the last day of our film festival that, that our TV pilot got into and didn't win any awards and the networking events weren't exactly what I thought they were going to be. And I was feeling pretty defeated and I was feeling like I didn't know what my way forward was. Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, oh, we're just this production company and you know, like we do good work with Sean, but like what, 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 where are we going from here? Well, what's my five-year goal? What's my 10-year goal? And I realized that that original idea I kind of had with Blue Vision Entertainment seven years ago is essentially kind of what we are doing today as mm -hmm. far as, oh, well, let's kind of spin off this agency thing we're doing with Sean. Let's make that the main part of the business. Let's Every business can become a Cali barbecue media, well, right? Every, that's yeah, the that's, idea. The idea is that people need to understand that it's accessible yeah. to have an in-house media team. Exactly. Even if you don't have rising tides, even if you're not here in San Diego, wherever you are, you can build it if you're willing to reach out in the way that we did yep. to someone like you. Yeah. Because there's plenty of creatives that are just looking for that bridge. Yep. They're, they don't understand what we're talking about every week. We talk about it all the time. We surround ourselves with people that 
eat it, breathe it, love it, people like David Meltzer, back to the Super yeah. Bowl, you're absolutely correct. Meltzer's figured it out for his own brand. So David Meltzer and his team, they're going out and covering what Meltzer's doing at yeah. the Super Bowl, which is more powerful to all of the sponsors than the sponsorship ads that they're paying for in the Super Bowl, which is incredible. Yeah, It's incredible, it's game-changing for people like David and people like Gary Vaynerchuk and all the other people mm -hmm. that are doing that. But specifically, if you're in San Diego, the cost to entry to hire a, a, a company like Rising Tides Creative that's fresh, new, looking for clients, there's never been a better opportunity to spend your marketing content because you have the ability to create back to the basics, audio, video, photos, and written word. Yep. That's literally, that's the basics. People get way too complicated with a, how long is the video? Is it a half an hour video, five minute video, one minute video? At the end of the day, you need to tell your story. Yeah. You need to work on the thesis. You need to figure out what's the hook point for this video. Brandon Kane. Yep. You know, Brandon Kane was on the podcast, did an incredible job. His next book, I can't wait to read it, um, Hook Point. But tell us when you meet with a client yeah. for the first time, what should they be looking for on their pillar videos. So if they have, you know, we go to Josh from American Factory Wheel, and if you go to his website, which Mithral Media, Kyle Fluger did an incredible job rebuilding really his great. entire really entire website. Um, but we did some frequently asked question videos, um, you guys did, as well as some about us videos. Tell us what a, what a business owner needs to focus on for the pillar videos of their essentially coming out to the internet. I mean, it, it's always going to depend whether a business is is like a service-based business mm -hmm. or something a little more like a restaurant. But you know, essentially, you want to identify, you know, yeah, what's your business's story brand? What is something that you know, if we're working with someone like Josh, yeah, okay, so what what are your essential services, Josh? What are you building your business on? You build it on rim repair. You build it on you know wheel painting and, and stuff like that. So we're going to focus around what drives business to you. Yes. So your customers can clearly understand, oh, this is what they do, this is how they do it, and you know, generally if you can this kind of get that. This is how you contact ex us. Exactly, this, yeah. is, this is how you get a hold of, of that service. So, and same with like our restaurant clients, where we started working with Corner Draft House. Um, Dan Sobeck, who's yeah, been Dan, on both podcasts, oh, really? Behind yeah, the yeah. Smoke and Digital Hospital. Okay. Actually, Behind the Smoke twice. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, I don't yeah, think I remember. Behind the Smoke twice. Dan's great, and so it's it's this nice you know bar restaurant out in Bankers Hill, and with them we're focusing on okay they have got weekly specials, mm -hmm. so we're going to be making a video for every one of their weekly specials. Mm -hmm. So all of their activations are going to have high quality video advertisement to try to bring people in the restaurant for Burger and Beer Monday, for Taco Tuesday, mm -hmm. for half off bottle wine Wednesday, for their pint night on Thursday, get a free takeout dessert on Friday. So whatever kind of you know, whatever you want to push or whatever your main messaging is, you know, that that's where I think the video can kind of compound. And yeah, you're talking about those pillars. It's really identifying what what do you want to represent to your customers? How, mm -hmm. What do you think? What's your niche? How, how are you going to get people into the door? Um, you know, and that's things that if the business doesn't know off the top of their head what that is, we can kind of come in and we can look at your website. We can look at your materials and we can game plan with you. Well, let's maybe pivot to focusing on this. You know, for Corner Draft House, they're very neighborhood based. Mm -hmm. So neighborhood, that's a big pillar for them. That community, that communal, you're in Bankers Hill, come down, come grab something to eat, come grab something to drink. 
So it's you know it's going to be different for every business, you know. But but every business does need to kind of identify what what's important to them, what's important the messaging that they push out to their customers. And having worked on so many production sets, what do you see, especially when you're not dealing with people that are actually actors, which <laughs> I know in the film world and the video, yeah. uh, you know, in your TV world, you actually have paid actors. Yeah. This is what they do. When you're talking with a business owner that's possibly never been on camera before, what is your advice to them? I mean. I think everyone's going to be a little different. You know, you're, you have some people maybe like yourself that we put cameras in front of you and you pretty much picked it up, you know, like that. You you just have a natural natural inclination to do it probably. He's he's being really nice. <laughs> he's being really nice. I, there's plenty of there's plenty of times I fucked up plenty on I know, camera. No, but I cut those I, out. So you, do, you, you do, you do. Well, you do. You have a great you have a great point, skill right? at editing. But, but no, that is what I tell customers. I, I get people who are, when we go do these vendor interviews, out, like we're just asking people who aren't even sometimes expecting to be on camera. Correct. Most of the time, camera. most of the time they're not expecting. Exactly. Yeah. So I say, hey, you know, I, I know it's, it's cliche. Act like the camera isn't there. Yeah. That is a big part of it. We're just having a conversation. If I'm off camera or if I'm on, right, I'm just, I'm, we're just having a conversation. And it's letting them know that I always am going to edit things together that is going to make you sound the best. That's going to be a clear message about your brand or your vision. So don't worry about messing up. Don't worry about flubbing. If you need to go back and repeat something, go back and repeat it because that's why we, you know, that's why we can edit things out. So I think everybody kind of comes into it. If you're a business owner and you're like, oh wait, I have to do a marketing video and they want me on camera. You're thinking like, well, I better know every word I'm going to say in my two minute spiel off the top of my head. And I better be able to give that without saying the word um once. That's not true. That's yeah. not true at all. I can't tell you how many ums I have cut out of plenty people for when me. talking. I know that. Plenty for everybody. Uh, um, as I say it right here, yeah. it, it's it's a common, it's a filler word that we but use. But you work on it and it becomes a skill and yeah. you get better the exactly. more that you do it. And it's that's, just that's like the anything. Other, yeah, that's the other point. Obviously, as you know, as anybody knows, the more you do anything, you're just going to get better at it. You're going to get mm -hmm. more comfortable with it. You know, and I, working with someone like Josh from American Factory Wheel, we definitely saw that once we were there, by time two, time three, he started getting a little more comfortable. Once we get into take, you know, okay, we'll, we'll do it a couple times. Once you get into take five, six, you've said it enough times. The other ones, even if you've messed up all five other times, by the time you get to the sixth one, you, you've you've kind of- you found you've your found, voice. Yeah, exactly. You found yeah. the, the natural flow to say things. You know, I found out a lot of times, you what I like about you is you don't write out things. No. Because a lot of times when people write out things, they go, they think that that's exactly what they have to do, or they also they're writing in a different voice Correct. than they would naturally speak in, and that comes across. It, it is. It comes across is like oh, so like this is like prepared, and then that's again that's where people then worry about flubbing lines or like oh I didn't say it exactly like this. It's like well, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Be authentic. Well, it, it's important to prepare, but yes. at the same part, it's once you prepare so well that you know what you're gonna say, yep. then it just becomes part of yeah. your natural script. Which is how, what it should be. Which you know? is your I, natural I, script. Ideally, for any business owner, you should be able to describe what your business does. You yes. should be able to explain why you think your business is special or or what you do that separates you from other businesses in your field. Um, you know, that, that should all be I kinda... think that's very important. I think I, I recently went on David Meltzer's, I did a coaching call that I recorded live cool and did a two minute pitch for our next big idea for Cali Barbecue. And he did a great job breaking down what I did well mm. and what I could improve on. Yeah. And a lot of it had to do with my authenticity. My authenticity because I know he knows the Cali Barbecue story, 
but when I'm going to pitch somebody, I have to assume that they don't know who I am yeah. and what I'm selling. Yeah. So there has to be that credibility factor that I build up, which was great advice to me, and it was great for me to put myself in an uncomfortable hmm. position. Yeah. And I think that's something that as business owners, we also have to remember, which brings me back to when I first started getting on local TV, mm. was my fear of a local news anchor, Shally Zamaroni, asking me a question about barbecue that I can't answer. You can't answer, yeah. Like worrying about the technical aspects of what somebody's gonna ask you versus knowing who I am as a business owner is completely different. Yeah. Nobody knows the Cali barbecue story better than I do. And once I understand that, and once a business, own, under, business owner understands no one will tell your story better, better than, than you, you mm -hmm. that's when that confidence comes in. And once that confidence comes in, then you can start making better videos. Yeah. Yeah, what totally. do you think for somebody that's working with a film production company mm -hmm. when your skill is editing, mm -hmm. one of your greatest skills? Yeah. You have many skills, but going through, like you said, that amount of footage from Wonderfront and being able to come up with a less than five minute video that's compelling, that's exciting, that brings you from you know the load in all the way to all the excitement that happens with the bands, with what's happening the on boats, the Wonderfront, all, all of it. What is your craft and how do you choose what stays and what goes? You know, honestly, and that's, it's something I have to try You know to, what happens in yeah, here. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a process I've had to start trying to um, be able to explain better. In order right, to I'm scale. building a team. Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have been needing to create kind of carbon copies of me and our process. Um, generally, I, I kind of think of it as really simple. What would I like to see? Yeah. If I was the viewer, what is compelling to me? What do I want to know? Yeah. And I go through and I'll scrub all the audio bits of, of, you know, if we did a couple talking head interviews with like Ernie Hahn and with Paul Thornton and even some of the kind of on-camera stuff we did with you, I go through and I want to build out the template of, okay, what's the audio story I'm telling? Mm -hmm. what, what, are, what are the key, what's point A to point B? What's, okay, uh, it's, it's Ernie talking about loading, it's Paul talking about the boats and all the different things, it's this little clip of Sean going, oh my gosh, I've never seen Seaport Village so full and packed before. And then it's going, all right, let's, let's listen through that a couple times, let's start taking out the ums, let's, okay, this part isn't really necessary information because the video is at six minutes, we want to bring it to four. And you just slowly kind of pick away and then we'll have, okay, good. Yep. I've listened through this a couple times. This is a good three minutes, four minutes of audio that makes sense. I got from point A to point B. I've reached my thesis statement. So for Wonderfront, it feels like a recap video. The thesis statement is show off everything going on mm -hmm. at Wonderfront Festival. Show off the, the vastness of this festival and all the unique little features of this festival. And we lay that out and then it's just about kind of covering your cut points with the hundreds of hours of B-roll we have. Mm -hmm. So when someone does say, um, you're, I cut it out and you don't see that their head like moved because they were saying something else or all that space in between, you can create an easy flow of, of dialogue so it sounds natural and you then cover that up with the B-roll and then the viewers are never any of the wiser. You know, mm -hmm. they're none the wiser that you said um four times because I cut all of them out and we showed all the awesome Wonderfront B-roll over it. So nobody knows. And mm -hmm. now it sounds perfect. And we've got music underneath to hide any of the little audio cuts that you might need to do. So, I mean, yeah, my main process is I just listen through and I listen. What sounds authentic? What is interesting? You know, and what reaches the thesis point, basically, mm -hmm. right? Like everything needs to tie back to the main point of the video. Generally, that's that's kind of, I guess, 101, I would say. Um, but that's kind of my 
three-step process to some extent in, in how we do things. I think that's uh, definitely interesting and it's important because when people start thinking about content, at least the people that I've talked to, it becomes overwhelming. Yeah. And it's overwhelming because they think of it having to create content out of thin air. Mm -hmm. And I always go back to what Gary Vaynerchuk talks about all the time, which is documenting. Mm -hmm. When you're documenting, when you're showing things behind the scene, you're already in your zone. Yeah. That's who you are as a person. That's what you do on a daily basis. That's 24-7. That's hard knocks. That's what they, <laughs> that's what they film. But if you stick to what you're doing and you're willing to reveal the dirty, dark sides of your business that maybe you didn't want to reveal before, yeah. that's compelling. Yeah. It's compelling because nobody sees that. You know, when you see the behind the scenes of something in, let's say, a kitchen, typically people are hiding recipes. Typically they don't want people to know how their you know, workflow process yeah. works because they're scared of another barbecue restaurant coming and copying them. Typically, they're not going to go on with their business coach and lay out exactly their plan to open up five other micro barbecue locations yeah. in San Diego. But for me, I would rather do it and fail and set the bar high, spread my ideas, because just by me doing that, I've already gotten people and feedback mm. from property owners of different shopping malls that have reached out to me, wow. wanting us to come in as tenants. Yeah. And that's just one ancillary benefit, let alone the media benefit that we get and the opportunity to work with great people yeah. because they see what they're doing. They want to be a part of something exciting, especially as a time you know, during coronavirus where there's so many restaurants that are struggling. There's so many restaurants that are struggling. They're trying to figure out how to get tables out on their sidewalks so that they can you know, do 25% yeah. capacity at social distancing. Um, it's very difficult and it's very hard. Uh, one thing I do really want to talk to you about is your big dreams for San Diego yeah. as a hub for creatives. Yeah. You just want me to? I can just. I want you to go on for, that for quite a while. Um, yeah, it's funny. We actually just kind of figured out. I think some more of the details of really how we finally think we can accomplish this vision. Actually, like today, with earlier, I had a meeting with my vice president. We kind of do our Tuesday executive meetings to go over everything in the company and go over our goals, go over what, what we're doing. I mean, my biggest thing was as a creative on the kind of Hollywood, the entertainment side, living in San Diego, I have been told at least finally, this last year, people stopped telling me because I think they see that I'm, I'm carving out a good niche for myself here. Mm. But Everyone was telling me, you have to move to LA. You have to move to LA. It wasn't like you should move to LA for your career or maybe move to LA and things will get better. It was, you have to move to LA. Mm -hmm. And that never sat well with me. I, 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 I never understood, okay, well, if a place like Atlanta, Georgia can become a film hub, why, why do I have to move to LA to continue forward on my dreams? And a lot of it is, what lacks San Diego is the infrastructure. I, I do see some of that. We don't have tons of studios. The studios we have are all generally smaller. I mean, LA has 20,000, 40,000, 50,000 square foot gigantic studios that you can really build and create in. That's, that is one actual problem that we have, but there is a way to fix it. And it's trying to basically do what, what the model that we're going to kind of start pitching in maybe six months or a year and try to start bringing investors in is a creative co-work that is just actually like for creatives. Uh -huh. a, a big building or a big couple floors of buildings that's literally 
just studio space, podcast room, photography rooms, green screen rooms, and people pay membership to have access to the space 24-7. It becomes a space that we as a business ourselves can create in. Um, and then basically the idea would be get enough of those, we can obviously pay for the space between our own business work. But mm -hmm. what we take from all the membership fees is we set aside some of it. So if you're a member of Rising Tides Creative, you could come, you'd have access to the space whenever there'd be desks, there'd be open work areas, there'd be meeting areas, come do table reads, do things like that, come create. And then you would know that a portion of your monthly fee is gonna go back into a fund that we then use to create, we use to fulfill your ideas. So you wanna come in and create, you pay monthly, great, and then you have an idea for a web series, well, you pitch it to us. And then every six months or every year, you know, the, some of the details we haven't worked out fully, we come back and we go, all right, well, we got this much in the fund. What projects do we do? What projects do we do from people internally who are a part of the company, right? If you're a part of the, the future Rising Tides co-worker, you're a part of the company, you're a creator in the company. Um, and we think that basically the digital hospitality thesis that every business needs to have a strong digital presence mm -hmm. is equally as true for any creative trying to Correct. break into their field. If you're a musician, a band, an artist, an Correct. actor, a filmmaker, a writer, I, the list can goes on, graphic designer, no matter what you're doing, you need to have a strong digital presence. You need to own your own brand. This is a big thing that some actors have started like realizing, like actors kind of coming up that go, sure. oh, I need to create a brand. I need to be able to create a brand. And then you see all these viral videos on Facebook and YouTube from comedians and people who are really utilizing their brand well. Yep. Um, there's someone, um, Amy LaJoy, she's a, she's a creative actress in town and she started going viral doing these TikTok videos these last couple months all about film set memes. So things that everybody who's ever worked on a film set goes, it's shit an AD says, shit the grips say. And they just go viral because they've got authenticity, their truth. But really what I've seen is her acting page, her fan page, her business page has grown from 1,000 people to almost 10,000 people yeah. because she started owning that producing content for it yep. and and she's now producing content and hitting and she's growing her own brand and if we are able to get a space like what i proposed the rising tides co-worker whatever you want to call it that is how we can propel that forward we can get 10 actors doing what amy's doing because they've got a place to come do it they've got a place to come create mm -hmm. and that's how when we start creating our own content that's how we can kind of you have that leverage against the old guard right gatekeepers that's that's a big thing that's even a big thing in business sometimes gatekeepers sure. right if you if you come from nothing it can sometimes feel insurmountable like i don't know anybody to to fund my business or i don't know anybody to help I don't fund know how my to cook short barbecue or, you know right i mean you find the people who do right? yes so a point of our leverage that we can have as an independent creative if we kind of start coalescing under one brand and everybody also realizing is that their own individual brand identity is important and I don't ever want anyone to sacrifice their own individual brand identity. The mm -hmm. idea is that we're partnering, we're advising all these people, right? We want them to join a part of the team because that's how you get leverage against Hollywood. Five years, 10 years, maybe less than that. If suddenly all these viral videos and, and these great musicians and other business content all starts coming out of this one hub, Rising Tides Creative, that's, that's where you get that leverage. That's where we can get sponsor leverage to not even have to go to Hollywood for, for our own financing for films and stuff like that. 
that's where, like I said, if we've just built in our own business model where we can just fund our own things ourselves, we can just start creating and we're not on the hook for pitching the studios and having having to be in LA to have to have that agent to make anything happen. It doesn't have to be how it is now. Mm-hmm. We own, we, we have the equipment to shoot a feature film today. I mean, the, the only thing we're basically lacking is to some extent the funding. But that's what I'm trying to build with my company is a model that can be sustainable for creatives to do what we all want to do, which is create. I mean, there's obviously going to be business parts to it and, you know, you've got to make a living somehow. And that's what I've really focused on the agency side of things. Mm-hmm. And eventually, obviously, every creative's goal is that your creative passion will make you money. And I hope everybody gets there. But sometimes it, it takes it takes a while. Yeah. And and having, you know, being able to create a place where everybody can come and we can start learning from each other and, you know, having this big brand Rising Tides Creative kind of be the, you know, the, the big arc of, of everything that everybody can come and ask for for help with this project or they know they can use the space. That's how we can be make San Diego stand out on the map creatively and and I think everything that we're talking about doing as an agency with the business to business stuff I think only expounds upon that because it it's the idea that we want to not just connect the arts community to work better together we want to connect the business and the arts community Mm -hmm. to work better together because as we've seen in 2020 they are they're they're interlinked if you own a business you need digital media services you will someday need a photographer. You will someday want to shoot video content. You need to have social media pages. I mean, if you're a business... You need and graphic you, design. Yeah, you need graphic design. You need all of these things. You need web. And why, if you're a business owner, do you really want... You have to run your business. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to be thinking about this photographer I hired and this videographer? Oh, and then that photographer's not... So I got to go find another photographer because that photographer's busy. No, we want you to, we want you to come to a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. We want you to come to one place have a creative agency that's your advisor. They, we will advise you on all of your creative, your advertising, your social media, anything that can possibly be considered creative, including some of the back-end marketing stuff like the SEO and the Facebook advertising campaigns. We want you just to come to us. Mm-hmm. We want to take that burden off of you. We want it to be very simple so you can just be like, I've got an event, I've got a photo shoot, I need that, and then we'll just take care of it. And I have a network of people that I've been building up over seven years that, you know, I've got copies of Brandon. I've got copies of Brandon. Copies of Brandon's copies best, of Brandon. Brandon's that, the best of the best. Brandon is number one. But, Brandon's but the we've, best of the best. We've got, some, we've got some good, you know. Well, you, you, have, you have to have students. You have to have yeah, apprentices. You have exactly. to have, in order to scale anything, you can't continue to grow if if the restaurant was dependent on me right now, smoking <laughs> brisket, I wouldn't be here building this this side yeah. of our business. Um, how do you fund a company without any funds? Well, how do you start a company without a, any funds? That's a great question, and it's um, a lot of sweat equity, a lot of work. Yeah. You know, there there used to be kind of an old way of dividing things, which. I don't know if anybody ever would really know. It would kind of be like the leader, the CEO, the president, the person like me would just kind of go, all right, I think Brandon's worth 10% and I think George is worth 12 and I think you're worth five and I think you're worth seven and I have 30% and we would just all agree to it. And then, you know, if you agree to that before, sometimes you'd, 
run into these issues where, hey, we're three months down the line and the person with 5% is doing double the work of the person with 10%. Mm -hmm. And then that person starts to feel like, well, why is this fair? Why am I doing double the work for half the shares? Yeah. So um, one of the new creatives I brought in, uh, Andrew Barak, who's also, he's a, he's a great musician, he's a great video guy, he fits with all the other, like everybody I bring in seems to be like me, we seem to be musicians who also have now turned to, to doing video to, to kind of being our, our bread and butter. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he gave me this book, Slicing Pie, by Mike Moyer, um, which was about kind of a dynamic way to split um, shares as you're kind of doing the, the upstart work of the company where nobody's getting paid. You know, so basically my company and I, two weeks ago, I pitched this idea to them, this slicing pie model. And I said, you know, we basically were going to set uh, a hypothetical rate that we tally all of our hours at. And then... Basically, you will always know what percentage of the company you own because it's going to be your total contribution. So if I work, if we say my rate is $100 an hour for mm -hmm. a hypothetical rate and I work 10 hours, you know, I've got $1,000 right there. Mm -hmm. So then it's that portion divided by the total contribution of everybody else. Yep. So I up, I add up my $1,000, Brandon's 500, the other guy's 600. Brandon needs to step it up. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Step only only doing half the work all Come the time. Come on, dude. And then that's the percentage of the company I own. So it's dynamic. So if I'm putting in way more hours than anybody else, I'm going to get out a little more like I should. And for the people who maybe aren't putting in as many hours, they'll, they'll, they'll know that because they're, they're in agreement. And, and it also, what I like about the slicing pie model is it, it encourages work. Yeah. It encourages people, hey, we've got uh, 12, 15 videos we have to edit. Yeah. Like I could take all the work and just increase my shares exponentially or Brandon can take a couple videos and Will can take a couple videos and Andrew can it. take a couple Correct. videos. And even though I don't have the cash to pay you up front for these right now, you know that you're earning a percentage of this company that you're going to literally get what you put in. You're going to get out what you put in. So um, it looks like it will be a working model. Everybody seems to, to, to be for it and, you know, going to start. Everybody's been tracking their hours and... We're going to kind of meet up again this week and start signing contracts about it to really make everything official, make sure everybody's on board and everybody knows all the different little sub questions. Oh, well, what if I have a cash investment or what if I leave the company early or how, how all these kind of little modifiers on what happens with startups kind of we lay out everything. Mike actually really did a great job in the book of he's got like a table, a chart of like any question and possible thing you could have. Here's how I see it. And you can either use my guide or you can just kind of create your own numbers of what sounds good for you. Um, and it seems like we're all pretty on board with it. And uh, I'm, I'm excited because I was dreading that question. You know, how am I going to figure out the splits? Mm -hmm. I don't know. How, how does anybody really know? Like, I can imagine that people are doing work one way or the other. I can think that, oh, maybe he will be worth more. But how do I really know? This yeah. is a great way that... You literally get in what you put out. I, like you're you're going to keep track of your hours, and it will correlate to the percentage of the company. And then we basically just set set a point for ourselves that once we reach this amount of money a month, we know that it's kind of at our jumping point where we could switch and then actually start paying ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that's a uh, how we're trying to kind of fund the company without. I wouldn't say any funds, but with very 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 minimal funds sure. for for what you would need 
for, for something like this. Well, that's uh, that's definitely great advice. Where Where's the best place for people to find you and follow you on social? Um, the company, Rising Tides Creative, everywhere, risingtidescreative.com, at risingtidescreative on all platforms. And personally, at always, A-Rob on all platforms. And what advice do you have for anyone starting a podcast given your COVID podcasting experiment? Um, know that a podcast is a lot of work. <laughs> and if you're going to do a podcast where you interview 40 people all over the country, it's a lot of work. Yes. Doing doing this. That was an ambitious doing task. Doing this is a little easier. Yes. Doing 40 Skype interviews that were all a half hour long with people from all over the country and then trying to, to make that into cohesive stories. That When it was uh, those first couple months of Corona, <laughs> when there was literally nothing else to do, I could take the like three days it took yes. to produce a podcast. But, you know, when I started getting busier, I was like, oh, I don't have three days to dedicate to one episode of this a week. Whoops. But, Whoops. you know, you live and you learn. So. No, but I, what I do appreciate is how ambitious you were with the task. And I'm always ambitious. I know that. The, fi <laughs> the final product was, it was very impressive, but it was a lot of work. And yeah. part of, you know, what we talk about is coming up with a plan, coming up with a yeah. team to help you create consistent content on a regular basis. Consistent content, don't make it harder than it has to be. That goes into documenting, but also keeping it simple. Video, audio, written word, and photos. Yep. Keep producing those for your website and then transferring them to social, repurposing them, um, and then you're well on your way to yep. digital hospitality. 100%. Aaron, th thank you for your time. I uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, please leave us leave us a review on uh, Apple iTunes. We appreciate yeah. that. And uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. And we'll catch you guys next week.